Welcome to the EduPunks Podcast. This is your host, Craig Biedemann. I'm recording this episode from my office at UMass Boston because we had a little bit of a shake-up with our recording that was supposed to air today for the new episode of In Between Spins. We had a little bit of a technical difficulty, so we're working that out. We're going to have to re-record a bit of that conversation, and we'll share it this weekend. But for now, I'm actually going to bring you a, a special episode that I was going to share this weekend, but I'll just share it now. It is a talk slash performance that I gave at Raritan Valley Community College in Somerville, New Jersey. So I drove down to New Jersey uh, last Monday night or Monday and then on Tuesday gave a really cool talk to just over a hundred students at a community college in the midday. And as for someone who works at a kind of a glorified community college, that's a really huge deal. They got over a hundred students to this talk to come here someone they didn't even know just because I was talking about mental health, survival, and what life is like as a person who lives with a brain that doesn't stop thinking about things. So you get to hear from me this entire episode. It's me sharing a lot of my life, a lot of my experiences, and kind of how I've survived over the years, and the types of things that I've been through on my journey to becoming a more comfortable person with sharing a lot of the stuff that I've gone through in my life, including a new diagnosis that I have. And I've shared it a little bit of it uh, in previous episodes, but this is where I really get into it. You also get to hear me do some poetry and play some music. There's one song that clips a little bit toward the end, but uh, I tried to clean that up as much as I could. But I was really excited and I'm really thankful for the folks at the radio station at Raritan Valley Community College because they sent me this audio like immediately, like right when I was done. Uh, when I when I was done with the talk, they were like already sending it to me, which was really awesome. And I really appreciate the work that they do. And honestly, if you really like this talk, it's called Survival Ain't Pretty. And if you want to bring me to your campus to talk about uh, what I share here, uh, please do. You can reach me through my website at craigbiteman.com, which is what hosts this podcast. And send me an email. Send me a message. Let's chat. I'd love to fill up my fall with a bunch of speaking engagements, or even the summer. I'll come talk to orientation sessions. I'll come talk to students at the beginning of the school year and really give a good idea of how to manage mental health during college, something that I really love talking about and something that is a really big part of my life. If you like what you hear uh, in this episode, if you like what you hear on this podcast, please tell your friends, rate, review, tell folks. It would be really, really helpful for us. Uh, I'm going to play some some of my own tunes throughout this episode just so I didn't really have to like get other music from other people. But this weekend, again, you'll hear a new episode from In Between Spins, me and Jacqueline O'Connell just chatting about uh, reunion albums, comeback albums, all that stuff. We get into a fun conversation there. Again, this is just me talking for this entire episode, me really uh, performing and doing a, a presentation the way that I do. You won't get to see the visuals, but it's really just words up on the screen. It's no like uh, pictures or anything like that, but I hope you enjoy it. And I'd give a content warning in the talk, but I'll give it one right now. Uh, we do talk a little bit about, uh, I do talk a little bit about suicide and depression and anxiety, eating disorders, a whole bunch of stuff that is uh, pertinent to today's conversation on mental health. And I hope you enjoy it. 
So let's get to, to, to me talking about stuff. Now, I'd like to turn our attention to a special guest that we have brought today all the way from Massachusetts. We have a very wonderful man and a very eloquent speaker who is also a musical artist who can play the guitar. Now, put your hands together for Craig Biderman. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Is this working? Hi. I've never had that as my introduction. He can also play the guitar. I love that. <laughs> that makes me feel so great about myself. Because I can play the guitar. And I brought one. And um, not as a, I guess it's as a warning. Just because there's an acoustic guitar, that doesn't mean you're about to hear some Ed Sheeran stuff. Um, it's going to get sad. It's going to get sad real quick. Um, but first, I'd like to even just let you know who the hell I am. My name's Craig Biderman, and I work at UMass Boston, where it's my job to work with students around talking about mental health and sexual health, body image issues, and a whole lot of things. Like, almost everything on this, in this room, is something I cover in my job and in my life and in this talk. It's called Survival Ain't Pretty, because it's not... We all survive in our different ways. And I'm going to share, you, share with you a little bit about who I am, where I come from, what I do, and how I got here. And please, do file in. Please do file in. Um, I'm, before I get too much into it, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to start by playing you a song. Um, and I'll get into a few other things as well. But this is a good way to get to know me um, and kind of the type of person that I am. Uh, I like to... Um, give folks just a, a, a good, a good content, uh, oh, the other things in my pocket, sorry. A good content warning that uh, everything that I'm about to talk about involves mental health in some way. It ranges from suicide to depression, anxiety, eating disorders, um, body image issues, uh, being a queer individual, I cover a lot of different things, and I just want folks to be aware that if you do need to step out at any time, please feel comfortable doing so. I won't be offended, and if you have to leave for class, I understand that. You're not going to hurt my feelings. People have walked out on me plenty of times. I get it. It's cool. I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but I'm here, and I hope that we can learn a little bit together, and, uh, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to play you a song. It's called Taking Its Toll. Um, and it's about someone I didn't treat very well, and I'm, I still feel sorry for it every, every day. Here we go. All right. Eh. I've been thinking a lot about you days and I've been thinking of how I can never see your face and I won't let it go I never let things go I've been thinking of how I used to live thinking of how I can never forgive and I won't let it go. I never let things go. But it's taking its toll. It's taking its toll on me. Lying to myself a lot. 
top hat shirt all pals will cross again Just know I'll be with you until the end And I just want to live And I just want to breathe I just want to know I'll be alright Thank you. Real quick, I'm going to make sure that this can, no, it's not even going to use uh, presenter view, but that's cool. All right, here we go. Let's, let's see how this goes. Uh, I am not a motivational speaker. <laughs> that is first and foremost to know about me. I'm not a motivational speaker. Uh, I don't like to get people up and like, yeah, let's do this fun activity together. It's more of, I hope that through this talk, something motivates you hopefully to look inward and to learn a little bit more about yourself. Because what's important, I think, one of the most important things in life is self-awareness. And I am someone, as you're about to hear, there's a lot that goes on inside my head all the time. And some of you might be able to relate to this, but I like I have a, a line in one of my poems you're going to hear later where I, I feel like I feel everything all the time. I don't know if that's relatable to anyone, but that's just kind of how I am. And I'm a very self-aware person because in being a, a loud, exuberant, energetic human being, I've also learned the effect that has on some people. I can be a polarizing person. And some of the times, especially in that first song you hear, some of the times with people in my life, I alienate them and I've lost them along the way. And that sucks. But I was not always this self-aware. Because a big part of my life, especially growing up, was dealing with something that not a lot of people really understand. And that's ADHD, or Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Uh, I grew up in the early 90s. I know. You're surprised. I look good for 30. I know. You don't have to say it. I know. But in the early 90s, there was this really good fad of like treating any little boy that couldn't sit still uh, with some Ritalin or some Adderall or something to just make them calm down a little bit. Because for the longest time, a lot of parents and a lot of teachers and a lot of doctors just didn't want to deal with kids like me. I love standing on tables. That's something that I do. I taught high school for two years. And the best thing, the one thing that I have framed from my time teaching was Craig. It was, a, it was an email from my principal saying, Craig, please do not stand on the tables. It is, a, it is a safety liability. And I said, oh, sorry. I'll try not to. But I have a lot of impulse issues. And that's, a, that's something that I've lived with my entire life since I was like six. One of the things that I constantly grew up doing was destroying stuff because I just wanted some attention from someone. And my parents were pretty old, so they didn't know, really know how to take care of me. And my siblings were all a bit older, and they weren't even really around. So I kind of was just floundering in this world of having ADHD, not really knowing what that meant, but it basically meant that I made noise. And I felt like an inconvenience to people at times. And because of the way I was, I acted up a lot in class. I tried to be the class clown. And I got bullied a lot. And bullying sucks. And I'm not innocent here. A lot of times, my ADHD and my desire to have attention meant that I also bullied people. I was kind of a dick at times. Like, to be blunt, I'm, another content warning, I say some swear words. Imagine it with asterisks. Um, but. I was also kind of a bully because what people don't recognize is someone with ADHD, someone with my brain, I also developed a lot of anger problems. I was mad all the time growing up. I was picked on in high school, and uh, high school is, is a really hard time. Can some of you relate to that? Was high school kind of hard for some of you? Yeah. Um, 
In high school is the first time I started uh, exploring my sexuality and kind of trying to figure out what that meant. And I knew there was something there. But I didn't know what it was. And if you're a guy growing up, there's a lot of stigma around being queer. And I recognize that. Because I was bullied a lot for being someone who acted flamboyant and is flamboyant and owns my flamboyancy in my masculinity today. I am 100% comfortable in my masculinity today, but when I was 16, oh boy, it was awkward. One of my biggest bullies, who would call me queer and faggot on a very consistent basis, actually ended up being gay himself, which is awesome. It's really cool. When I found that out, gave him a quick email. Hey, buddy, you want to talk? I'd like to talk. I never got a response to the email. Surprise. But the thing about bullying was it led to a lot of depression. Depression is not a fun thing. And I've been depressed for as long as I can remember. It's something that I kind of deal with. It's something that, I, that fluctuates in my life. It's kind of ever-present. And depression would mean that I would often cry in my room the second I got home from school. Because when I got home, I finally didn't have to worry about people picking on me. That sucks. It's really hard when you're kind of wanting to be the person that's super fun and people can be around you, but you're still figuring out how does that even like fit into this social mold of other people existing, because I could not figure it out for the longest time. And depression really taught me a lot about who I was. It also taught me I could deal with a lot of stuff. I also developed a lot of anxiety around people. And I'm a people person. I've always been this energetic guy, this, this. I have always been this. And when you're growing up, that does isolate people, that does alienate people, that does make you an annoying person. I am an annoying person to be around on a daily basis, which is why I'm amazed my partner has been with me for almost four years. This is the longest relationship I've ever had. And, and I don't even know, like, you're clapping for that, but like, I'm surprised I tell them this every day. I'm like, Katie, how have you not broken up with me yet? And they're honestly the most patient person in the world, and they gotta be. My partner actually lives with general, generalized anxiety. Does anyone know what generalized anxiety is? A couple people know. It kind of means that you don't get a break from anxiety. Everything kind of makes you anxious, and a lot of times it can be informed because of trauma. And so, I live with someone who has that. And as someone who recognizes a lot of social anxieties, a lot of uh, anxieties around uh, uh, when I feel uncomfortable in circumstances, that made it harder for me growing up. And college was one of those times where my anxiety got out of control all the time. College sucks. It does. Like, I don't know if that's a shock to any of you, but college sucks because you're trying to go to class, you're trying to have friends, you're trying to have relationships, you're trying to get on social media, you're trying to make all your friends in social media world, you're trying to tweet everything, you're trying to have a job, and you're trying to also take care of yourself. All of those things can't happen at the same time, right? It's hard, it's hard to balance all of that stuff. And at one point, multiple points in my life, I should say, I've wanted to die. And that's not a comfortable thing to talk about. My job now, I talk about very uncomfortable things. I talk about mental health and sexual health. Two things no one wants to talk about. And I'm comfortable doing it. Because, like with our mission here today, to stomp some stigmas. I think it's incredibly important. 
People, you're not alone if you think this. You're not alone if you think that you may not want to be here right now. I've been that way. I feel this almost every day to varying degrees. There are days when I genuinely don't know if I'm going to make it. And that's rough. I like my life. I have fun. I get to make music. I have cool students. My partner's great. I have two beautiful tuxedo cats who I feel like I inconvenience every day because I'm such an annoying person. <laughs> I tweeted yesterday, uh, all I do is make noise and inconvenience my cats. And I truly believe that. Because one of my cats just has resting cat bitch face. And I think that every time, uh, most cats, I guess, have that. But my, my guy, he just like looks and he's like, why are you playing? I'm just trying to sleep. Just stop. But this stuff is stuff that I live with, stuff that's always going on in my brain. And I want to play another song for you. Um, real quick, to break up me talking. Um, this song is called Full of Fear, and it's on an album that I'm writing right now. Um, actually, oh, sorry. I'm writing right now, actually, with a band uh, that I have not, I have not been a part of a band in years. The last band I was in was a, I kid you not, a metalcore band, where I was the screamer in everyone's face, just like, Aah! That was me. I was that guy. I was very out of place. Now I play fun, sad emo music that I love making. Um, um, but this song's called Full of Fear. I've only played it a few times for people, and I'm working out some of the kinks, so I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it gets loud, but um, it shouldn't surprise you by now. But... Uh, I hope you like it. There are just some days where I don't know if I'll wake up. It is what it is. It is what it is. I've traded narcissism for cynicism, and I'm not sure if I'm any better off. Oh, it is what it is. Fear that my body and bones can't hold me up anymore. 
Thank you. So we're going to take a quick break from my talk real quick just to plug the National Suicide Prevention Hotline uh, because this, this conversation and this presentation was done at a Smashing the Stigma um, event at Raritan Valley Community College where um, we were really trying to make sure that folks knew that there are a bunch of resources out there. So I want to share a resource with you now. I've hyped it up in the past, but the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, please give them a call at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. That is a 24-hour-a-day lifeline that you can engage with and you can chat with. Um, it is a very, very helpful program uh, organization that does a lot of help with folks around suicide prevention. You can also visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org to learn how you can get involved or how you can learn even more and help out even more. Um, it's really, really helpful to get to have a resource like that when you are feeling like you need some support. And there's also crisis text line. Just text HOME. H-O-M-E to 741741 and you'll get free crisis support through text if that is a much more comfortable medium for you. Also, uh, please feel free to visit crisistextline.org so that you can get support through them as well. That is HOME, H-O-M-E to 741741. Send that text and they will help you out for free if you are in crisis. So I, I performed that song for the first time at a conference in Denver, which is actually where I met uh, the folks who put this together uh, back in November. And that was the first, I guess, and only time I've ever had a sign language interpreter um, uh, signing and interpreting while I was performing. And they were standing right next to me the entire, the entire time. And while I don't know if you know about like sign, language, sign language interpreters, but when music is happening and they're signing music, they dance. Like not necessarily to what the music sounds like, but they just sway to make it, to convey that music is happening. And after I got done, and so one, while that's happening and I'm, I'm yelling about being sad, um, I just look over and I kind of started laughing just because that was so, it's such a juxtaposition of what's happening. But at the end of the song, she goes, holy crap, dude. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. It's a lot. Um, so I, I've had a history of self-destruction. And self-destruction looked very different for me. Um, I am one of those people that my anxiety is very rooted in psychologically harming myself, making myself feel like I'm not good enough, convincing myself that people don't like me, convincing myself that no one wants to be around me, convincing myself that the relationships I have are not built on people's desire to be around me, but because they're trying to get something out of me, things like that. That's all mental. It's all in my head. But I've been fighting that forever. I still fight it today. It's not fun. And sometimes, folks tend to turn to something else that's a little more destructive. I waited to drink until I was 21. And do not clap for that. I'm so, I'm so glad no one did, because that is not a big thing to celebrate. But I started drinking, actually, on my 21st birthday. And that was after years of being like, no, I'm straight edge for life. I'm going to be good. I don't need to touch substances. That's not for me. Whatever. I'm good. But I ended up drinking on my 21st birthday because from that first song, the person that I treated poorly was a relationship that I had. And a person that meant a lot to me, still means a lot to me, was the person that taught me what it was to love someone, to truly care for someone. And I started drinking out of complete depression and complete self-destruction. I would go to my room after I started drinking a little bit, learning a little bit more about alcohols, the things that I like, the things that I don't like. I would experiment a little bit. 
and I would go and I would drink in my room. I was a creative writing minor in college, and I was an English major, if you can't tell by the overall me of it all. Um, I love words, and one of the things that I found is when I was drinking, I would write better. I would write from my depression. I would write from my sadness. And one of my favorite bands is called uh, Touche Amore, and they have a song called uh, To Write Content. And, they write, and it's basically about how hard it is to write when you're feeling happy. It's really hard to be creative when you're in a good space. And I struggled with this a lot as I continued to drink. And I basically drank for two and a half years nonstop in my room, by myself a lot of the times. And when I, when I would go out with people, I tried to play it cool. I tried to play it like I'm just getting a couple beers with the guys. Then I'd go home and have a couple more beers by myself and pass out. That's legit how I would drink. So my friends would never think that there was a problem. So why not? I'm showing up to everything. I'm not losing any of my appointments or my responsibilities. But I was basically drunk. So I turned to running uh, because I needed a way to stop drinking. And drinking became, it came to the point where I attempted to take my own life from drinking. And around that time, I was really struggling with stuff. And I still kept drinking after I woke up. I was like, damn it. I basically just wasted a bunch of booze. That was my mentality. And a lot of times, and I, I work with people who are in recovery, folks who've been brought or like an overdose reversed, one of the first reactions they have is anger because you've ruined their high. And I woke up from an attempt of taking my own life through drinking, and I was just mad because I wasted a bunch of booze. Good, good use of money, Craig. That's basically where I went. I almost died uh, while floating a river and drinking with my friends. I don't know how to swim. It's important to note if you go floating on a river and you drink all day in the sun. I was very stupid. I am, a, I am not a very smart person, but I stand before you five and a half years sober, which is sick. And you can clap for that. I have an X tattooed on me for every year of sobriety, and I come back to running because I forgot that it was the next slide. But because running <laughs> is my most favorite thing in the world. I love running. I also hate running. It is one of my least favorite things in the world. But I run a lot, and I ran a lot when I was trying to get sober because as I learned a lot through overcoming my own addiction, you replace one thing with another, which isn't great. I recognize that. But running for me, in my brain, was okay. This is healthy at least. I'm at least taking care of myself, and that's good. And I have, and I, and I, and I did. But running was this thing that helped me manage a lot of my depression, I could just go out and I could just run. And the endorphins kicked in and I felt great and I could listen to music. I could also, this is true, when I was in my metal band, I could run to the hills to a trail somewhere and just practice yelling and screaming and do that where no one would have to worry about it. And that's how I got a lot of my practice in. But I also have a complicated relationship with food. I've had a lot of body image issues since I was about 20, 21. And I can actually pinpoint the exact picture I was looking at when I was like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like what I see in that picture. And since then, I've been very self-conscious about my body, my weight. I started weighing myself almost every single day. I would intermittently starve myself. I would purposely plan runs around big meals and big things that we were doing with friends so I would feel like it balanced itself out. That's all, that was all my way of convincing myself it was okay to eat. <laughs> okay to eat. That was it. That's how I was convincing myself it was okay. You should eat. <laughs> like that, if you can and you have the resources, you should eat when you feel hungry. You shouldn't starve yourself. That's something that I had to learn. I've starved myself many times, many days. I've gone through many periods of just like, no, 
I need to drop like five more pounds so I can run a little bit faster so I can qualify for this thing. That's my brain. That was in my brain. All It still is in my brain. And I hate it so much. I love eating food, but I hate eating food. I love running, but I hate running. I'm actually in therapy right now for an eating disorder, for running addiction, exercise addiction, which I didn't even know you could have until I had it. And I do, which is weird, but it's a thing. I used to run about 60 miles a week. Yeah, week. My, my therapist and I have worked it down to 40 a week, so I can feel comfortable with that. Yes, I ran almost 2,000 miles last year. It's a lot. And in my brain, I still didn't reach my goal, which was 2017 for the year 2017. Yeah, I know. I didn't reach it, but it's this goal-setting mentality also messes with my brain. It's a little bit of the obsessive-compulsive disorder that I get really locked in. It's a thing that happens with ADHD and something I'll talk about in a little bit, but hyper-focus is something that I've struggled with a lot because while I'm not good at focusing on like little things, big picture things take up a lot of my brain and I get irritated by those little things, which is not a lot of fun. So you can imagine the big picture things in my brain. When I was finishing graduate school, I went to the UMass, UMass Amherst for graduate school uh, after completing two bachelor's degrees at Oregon State University. I flew across the country because I was like, I'm going to try something else. Let's see. Um, and I, when I finished graduate school, I started job searching. Uh, if any of you have searched for a job before, those of you who are still students, please take your time. <laughs> Finish your degree, be comfortable, get all the experiences you can, and it still likely will not prepare you <laughs> for a job search. Um, in higher education, our job search processes are very political, they're very um, tedious, they're really challenging on mental health. There's a lot, of, a lot of steps to even get in the door to even sit down with someone. And I, as a person who has a lot of energy and a lot of opinions, struggle with interviews. I am the worst at interviewing because if you can't tell, I like to give context to things. Those, aren't, those kinds of responses aren't good in interviews. I'm also a person who cannot stand or sit still. Have you noticed? It's not a thing I'm good at, which is why I'm very thankful you had a clip on for me. Oh, this is a lifesaver. Um, so a lot of times when, I'm when I was job searching and interviewing, I would like shake at the table. I would, my knees would be shaking and I would hit the table and I, that gets in my head too because I can't stop thinking about it. I spent 14 months searching for a job. I had three degrees, including the, like, the degree you needed to get into my field, the Masters of Higher Education Administration, and I couldn't get a job. And a lot of times it was because of how open I was talking about the stuff in my life in interviews. And I said, well, and I kept rationalizing it with, well, if they're not comfortable with me talking about it here, I'll never be comfortable talking about it with them, likely. Until I met my supervisor now who hired me and gave me a job because of how open and honest I am. And because I'm a person in recovery. And because I'm willing to talk to people about this. So it sucked. And I will tell you a little bit of a story in a little while about how I survived job searching, but it is not fun. Now, while I was job searching, my dad died. Um, my dad died in 2015. He was one of my favorite human beings in the world, slightly racist, but one of my favorite human beings in the entire world. And one of the things that I struggled with him on was just teaching him about how the world has evolved over the last few years, about queer issues, race issues, class issues. And I would always bring those in with him because I was like, you're not getting this anywhere else. I'll try to bring it in. And I made some good, some good leeway with him before he died. The one thing I wanted to make sure he understood was my identity as a queer human being. 
I just wanted him to understand that sexual identity is a spectrum. It is this thing that can fluctuate, can change, and that is okay. Because my dad had a very hard time understanding that. But I spent four years talking with him about this stuff, and he finally got it. And it took a lot of patience and a lot of time. But for 12 years, I watched him struggle with lung cancer. I watched him struggle to breathe, to walk, to move, to exist. The man that like brought me in to their family. Um, I say that because I'm adopted. I never shared this before, but that was another part of my relationship with my dad that was a little weird as I was adopted and my family, I kind of always felt a little bit on the outside and being all the way across the country when my dad was dying was not my favorite thing to be having to deal with, but I got to spend one last week with him. Actually, he died on my way back to the airport to fly back to Massachusetts. That's when I got the call. But I got to say goodbye to him, which was enough for me. And I actually released an album last year about him, about losing him and about our relationship. And on that album is a poem that I'm going to share with you. It has a little bit to do with everything you've already heard. So here we go. It's called Bastard Son. I am fatherless, adopted, abandoned, alone. Your absence is an invisibility cloak of forever, and I don't feel any closer to you here. I replayed that last week with you over and over in my head. I flew back to Oregon just to watch you slowly deteriorate before my eyes. There was nothing we could do except make you feel comfortable. And I tried to glean as much as I could from you during that last week. You taught me not to fear death. You taught me that life is temporary. You taught me about your favorite Marty Robbins song. And when I got home, I gave Big Iron a spin and I wept because I'd never get to listen to it with you again. You taught me the stories behind all of his songs and I would listen as your face beamed with joy, reliving the days when you weren't in pain and you could just listen to music. I feel that pain today because there's not enough of me to go around these days. I'm sleeping less and I'm crying more than I'd like to admit. And I miss the days when everything was vibrant. Because when you died, my depression and anxiety amplified and the thoughts of killing myself worsened as I struggled to find work. And you said that anyone would be happy to have me, but I felt like I had nothing without you. And luckily, luckily I gave up drinking a few years ago so that I could feel anything again. Now I wear these X's like badges of honor from an invisible war that may never end. Now being sober means I think much clearer. And I think of the times that I was, you said that I was too stubborn to quit, but I'm so glad that I did. Quitting saved my life. You always told me that you wished you'd quit smoking long before you even began. And it, thought, it made me think of how much I stood to gain by giving up alcohol. Hell, I was able to reconnect with you the last few years of your life. No shame of my double life, no more keeping track of the lies, but it wasn't enough to keep me honest. So I moved to Massachusetts to get a fresh start because I saw none of my friends doing the same. And I figured if I could make it there, I could do anything. Then you died and your lungs finally quit. And I struggled to forgive myself for how selfish I had been all those years. Selfish for leaving home when you and mom needed me most. Selfish for the times I attempted to take my own life while you were fighting for yours. And I still feel you inside of our god-awful house. That doesn't mean I feel any closer to you. And I still feel you everywhere, but it doesn't mean I feel any closer to you. And while I may not be your blood, I will always be your son, your bastard son. And with love and farewell in my lungs, I say goodnight. Thank you. So I'm getting to some of the happy things. <laughs> this is called a turn in like writing and in like speeches and stuff. This is a turn. Um, also in pro wrestling, it's a turn. Now I'm going to turn good. Um, support systems are the most important thing that you can develop in college. 
The best people in my life are people that I've met in college. I don't talk to a lot of the people that I was friends with in high school. I talk to a chunk of them, but not all of them. But college is really where I met the people that are in my life actively now. The people that look after me, the people that check in, the people that are like, hey, Craig, how are you doing? You want to hang out? Like, yeah, sure, let's do some stuff. Getting support is so important. And then that also involves therapy. I get therapy, I go to therapy right now. And one of the things, oh, friends was the next slide, sorry. Friends is important. But therapy is one of those things that I think is incredibly essential. And that is where I took a big stand for advocating for myself. I'm gonna ask for a moment of bravery right now from all of you. If you have at any point in your life or are currently in therapy, please raise your hand. Thank you. Look at that. Look at that. Y'all, you're not alone in this stuff. You're not alone in this stuff. When you go to therapy, you're advocating for yourself. You're saying, I want to get some help, some support, and that's so important. There's no shame in that. There should be no stigma in talking to someone about what you're going through because sometimes that's what it takes. And one of the things that I've learned explicitly going through therapy is it's not just about talking to someone. It's actually about doing the things you talk about in therapy and trying to learn things about yourself. Now, I've learned the most about myself through these creative efforts, through poetry. I am like a trained spoken word person, if you, if you didn't notice how I do that. Um, but I learned how to play guitar on my own. Like, I feel like if I was given a guitar as a kid, I would be so much better than I am now. Like, if I had it at a younger age, but no one really gave me creative things. They put me in baseball. I don't know if you know the most important thing in a baseball game is a bat, but in the hands of a destructive kid with ADHD, windows were gone. Uh, golf balls were hit into my neighborhood with a baseball bat. I don't know where they landed. Someone might have gotten hurt. I genuinely don't know. I could have hurt someone. But when I was 12 and had a baseball bat, hell yeah, I'm going to destroy some stuff. I'm not advocating for that at all. I'm not. I, people, organizers, I'm not. It's not me. <laughs> but that's what happened. I wasn't given any creative stuff. So I've turned to art as an adult. And I never think it's, it is never too late to start creating and making art. During my job search, for about eight months, I decided to paint for people, commission painting. And I was like, hey, if you want art for your office or just for your life or for your friends, let me make some art for you. So I painted some stuff. This is some of the stuff I paint. It's a lot of fun. It's very bright and vibrant. If you can't tell, uh, I like to throw paint around. It's one of my, oh, there's so much fun in just getting covered in paint and throwing it at canvases. Uh, our old apartment is cut, the floor was covered in, in, in paint, and I had to like chip it away before we moved. But whatever, it was worth it. <clears throat> but the art has been tied to my survival as a human being. Um, because at a time when I was in control of nothing as a person job searching, Creating that art helped me be in control of something. It helped me channel a lot of my emotions and really create art for other people, which was awesome, and give them something to help them uh, survive as well. I tell you all of this because storytelling matters. Sharing our stories matters. Talking to our friends about what we're going through matters. It's important to make sure that we are upfront with each other and we trust each other and we create conversations that are hard but are important because we need to make sure that we help each other out. And even at the same time, stories evolve. Stories change. And here's a new change for me. Just a couple weeks ago, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder which this is the first time I'm saying that publicly. I haven't even told my Facebook friends yet.
There's no musical break for this episode, mostly because you're already getting a little bit of music from my live performance at Raritan Valley Community College. Just wanted to give a quick plug. Uh, this is a talk that I do. This is a thing that I do at other colleges. If you are interested in booking me and bringing me to your campus, please let me know. Uh, you can reach out through my website, craigbiteman.com, and if you want to bring me to your campus, that'd be really sweet. I have a sliding scale uh, for, for payment. Uh, uh, very much my punk ethic goes into that as well. I work with your budget. I'm not one of those folks that's just like, you pay me this or I don't come. I'm very willing to work with you and work with your budgets. And even if you don't have a whole lot of money, I'll, hell, I'll just come. If I, if I can even just drive there, if you're on the East Coast and I can drive there within a few hours, I don't mind. Like it's something that I rather have the information get to your students than you have to worry about the budget and all that other stuff. I work at a college, I understand how that stuff works. It's not easy, it's not great, but I wanna be able to engage with some of your students and really support some of them. And if it helps them out, that's really all I want. That's really all I hope to get out of it. And if you want me to come do that and help you out with your students, I'm more than willing to do so. I also do talks on sexual assault, sexual assault prevention, consent, authenticity, leadership, a bunch of different topics, more than just mental health. Uh, and I've done a lot of different types of conversations and a lot of different mediums and trainings and consultations. So if you want me to come out and help you out, let me know. Let's make it happen. <laughs> I have bipolar disorder which is something that when I first told one of my closest friends, he was like, oh, I didn't know if like, that was a good thing or a bad thing, because I told him, he was like, I don't know how to respond. I'm like, it's a good thing. It is a good thing. It really is a good thing, because I have an answer that makes so much more sense than just ADHD. That's what I thought for the longest time was just what I was living with. But no, it was, where, it was so much more than that. It was so much more than that. And even the last few weeks since I've been kind of living with this new diagnosis in my life, thinking about it, as you can tell, I'm someone who thinks about things way, way too much. I've been thinking about this a lot. And on Sunday, and actually up until this morning, I finished a new poem. And I don't know how it's going to go, but uh, I'm going to do it for you all. Um, I wrote a new piece. I don't know how it's going to go. But uh, we're going to see. Um, and again, stories evolve. This is likely not going to be the final form. This is not my final form <laughs> for my nerds in the house. Um, but this is where it's starting. And um, I think that's OK. It's called Sit Still. So here goes. I recently started taking medication for bipolar disorder. I'm not quite sure how my body is reacting to the new chemicals, but I'm just glad to be getting treatment. Because for years, I grew up thinking I just had ADHD, which I do. However, it was explained to me that ADHD and bipolar disorder have a lot of similarities, but the latter can go undetected if the person doesn't actively seek some form of support if their mental health becomes unmanageable mess of emotions. And I feel everything all the time. You see, in the early 90s, I couldn't sit still. And because I couldn't sit still, teachers would get very impatient with me. And because I couldn't sit still, my parents would get very impatient with me. And because I couldn't sit still, and many other boys like me couldn't sit still, doctors were diagnosing any little boy who couldn't sit still with ADHD. It taught me that being me was not okay. It taught me that being me was not socially acceptable. It taught me that being me was a burden. So I grew up thinking I was a burden on everyone. That my energy, my excitedness, and all of my eccentricities were a burden. Teachers would tell my parents that the only thing they could do is suggest medication. And on the days when I was an exceptional distraction in the classroom, they would just send me to the principal's office. During one school year, I was sent to the principal's office 105 times in a school year that only had 171 days. I was in trouble more than I was in class, which is hard because I love learning. And school was my escape from a home where I felt like I didn't fit in. 
So to have my escape become a space where I did also didn't fit in, my brain started to play tricks on me. You're not good enough. You're too fucking weird. None of those kids like you. None of your teachers like you. I recently started taking medication for bipolar disorder. And I was hesitant at first because when I was a kid, I was constantly in trouble and I was placed on Ritalin. Ritalin dulled my senses, muted every color, turned the volume way down. Everything was bleak and my heart hardly kept a consistent beat. And I was always told to sit still, sit still, sit still. Craig, please just sit still. Even today, I have a problem sitting still. My legs are almost always shaking, and my partner often has to remind me by placing their hand on my knee because I'm shaking the foundation of our apartment because I can't sit still. I wish my parents and teachers would have suggested constructive ways for me to utilize my energy because today I get shit done. Today I channel my energy into too many projects. I admit that. But at least I'm not hitting golf balls into my neighborhood or smashing windows with a baseball bat or harming myself with sticks I find in our backyard. I recently started taking medication for bipolar disorder, but I was hesitant to take medication because as a kid, Ritalin took so much away from me. As much as I hated being in trouble for being the weirdo, the outcast, the troublemaker, I loved being me. As much as I fought with my self-doubt and disappointment from my teachers who constantly gave up on me, I loved being me. Ritalin took me away from me. Medication took me away from me. And I didn't want whatever my psychiatrist suggested to me to take me away from me. I like me. I like being me. And now, nearly two decades later, I'm trying something that I hope will help me control my urges, control my anger, and make me a little less sad all the time. I recently started taking medication for bipolar disorder, a diagnosis that is very, very, very new to me. And while I am, while I am not a danger to others, I fear this diagnosis will bring some stigma that I really don't want to have to deal with right now. Stigma that I definitely felt growing up as a Ritalin-fueled kid that just wanted to fit in. I recently started taking medication for bipolar disorder, and I hope it'll help me sit still. Thank you. <laughs> Educate others. Share your stories. Stories evolve. Our lives evolve. Things change. Our environments change. Adapt. Talk to your friends, talk to your peers, be there for people. I love that uh, there's a To Write Love on Our Arms group on this campus, because back in the day, To Write Love on Our Arms was the first organization to help me understand what it meant to understand that rescue is possible, survival is possible, love is a movement. Treating people fairly and with love and kindness is important. Smash that stigma. Smash it. One of the main ways we do it on my campus is through HIV and Hep C testing. We do a lot of testing. Every other week, we get people tested. We ask them to smash the stigma. Know your status. Know who you are. What's going on inside your brain and inside your bodies. Don't be afraid to learn those answers. Because I finally got an answer, and it helped me out. I feel fucking great right now. As much as I'm kind of terrified, I feel great. Destigmatize mental health. It's important. I genuinely feel like my generation and this generation of folks are the ones to do that. Because we're the ones talking about it. We got a room half full of people who have been in or are in therapy. That's tight. I think that's sick. That's the coolest thing you can do, is seek some support and seek help if you need it. I'm gonna finish a song, finish with a song, and it's called Forgive. And I hope uh, that's not where it's supposed to be. That's where it's supposed to be. I hope that um, this ends with a little bit of hope, and it actually references the first song a little bit. But here we go, and then I'll be all done. And you can go about your day. Thank you for being here.
my dad died, I thought a lot of death, my own mortality, it felt so selfish, I only thought of myself, when I had years to prepare for a loss like this. I've been empty, I've been blind, I wanted to end my life, but I tell myself, I'll be just fine and no one envies this. Oh, no one envies me. No one envies this. No one envies me. But we must forgive ourselves and be proud. We're still here. Better days will come. Let's live our days in love. I'm comfortable being vulnerable, but sometimes I need to turn the music higher than my anxiety. Depression is a silent killer. Doubt, fear, and shame rip through my bones. I've survived attempts on my own life, on my own terms. In my worst days, no one envies this, so no one envies me. No one envies this, so and no one envies me, but we must forgive ourselves and be proud. We're still here. Better days come. Let's live our days. A couple more things. Um, so forgive yourself, please. Uh, when you go home today or wherever you go, just like look in the mirror and be like, I forgive you. We mess up every day. We mess up every day. I messed up in this talk. I forgot a whole section. You don't even know that. I just told you because I'm way too authentic. And that was like the most inauthentic thing I could say. But I, like, I'm the most transparent person because like, it's been eating me alive because I missed a whole part of this talk. But it's okay. We got here. I run a nonprofit called The Art of Survival. I made all that art during my job search. I make a bunch of art now. My partner and I started this nonprofit to give survivors of trauma, mental health trauma, surviving being queer, surviving disabilities, addiction, sexual assault, sexual violence, domestic abuse, all of these things, bullying, cyberbullying, um, everything under the sun. We share their stories at artistsurvival.com and we make every single person who sends us a story a piece of art for free. And I make some cool art. So if you want me to make you a piece of art and you have a story to tell, send it to us. Go to our website. You can do that. Um, this is just kind of our way of like giving back to a community that helped us out a lot. And we table a lot in the Boston community, uh, in the DIY scene, and at gigs, just to give information about sexual assault prevention and suicide prevention. Two very important things that are in my scene right now, in the punk scene. We want people to know that there are resources. If you like the music you heard, by some chance you did, um, you can go to another poormusician.bandcamp.com, or I am the only verified person on Spotify as another musician. So that is vague and terrible. But you can listen to the music um, that I, some of the songs that I played you today are on both of these projects. Farewell is the one I wrote about my dad. Um, I will be having a name change with the band, but those will always forever be up as another musician. Um, so if you like some of that, and if you want physical copies, I have CDs and vinyl and I can ship it to you. I did not bring them, I'm sorry. Um, but I can also send you stickers for Art of Survival as well if you want some of that. We have patches and shirts as well that are really cool designs if you want to reach out for those. That's all I got. That's it.
that was my whole talk. I hope you enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun doing it. I got to do that talk twice last week, not only in New Jersey at Raritan Valley Community College. I also got to do that talk at uh, Spurman College in South Carolina, in Greenville, South Carolina. Both of these schools booked me because I did a talk at the NASPA Bacchus Conference in November. Uh, in Denver. I was asked to be a keynote speaker there, which was really cool. And I did this talk at that keynote and uh, got to connect with a lot of really great people. And they wanted to book me from that, which was really cool. And so I am just really thankful for, for Raritan Valley and even for Furman College. And I have a couple schools coming up here still in the spring that have brought me to their campus to talk. And yeah, I have a lot of fun doing it. I have a lot of fun being me on a stage and just chatting with students about life and surviving everything that comes our way. So if you uh, like what you hear, please tell your friends. Please share, rate, and review. That'd be really sweet. And again, this weekend we have an episode coming back out of uh, In Between Spins where Jacqueline O'Connell and I are talking about uh, reunion albums, which is really exciting, really cool, fun conversation that we get to have. And yeah, that's really all it is. Uh, again, uh, it's important that if you want to reach out to uh, the Crisis Text Line, text HOME to 741-741 to get some free text support. And if you want to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, call 1-800-273-8255. That is a quick way to get some support if you are feeling like you need someone to talk to and you're not doing particularly well. I care about all of you. I hope that you learned a little bit about me and about my life and that it uh, gave you a little more context to what I bring to this podcast even over uh, seven, nine months, nine months into creating this podcast. So yeah, that's all I've got. I'll see you this weekend with my conversation with Jacqueline and the next week, another cool conversation. I love doing this podcast. It's so fun. Um, I know we're, we're, we're about to hit a thousand subscribers, which is really cool and something I never thought we'd have. And I'm just really thankful for folks who stick around and listen. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, but for now... Let's get to work. Well, I guess if there's one thing I regret, so I don't have many pictures of us together. Saw so Williams wrote, only believers in death will die. And it always reminded me of you. Because you were never afraid to die. And I was wrong. When I said I'd be over this by the morning So I hopped on a plane Left the family behind And I haven't looked back since These active ghosts and you They haunt me in my sleep I can only dream of you